Hello and welcome back to another episode of Painting the Corners. We are continuing our off-season preview series, moving on to the AL Central here. Very surprising division in two separate ways. We got the Guardians, who massively overperformed their their projections, and then pretty much everyone else underperformed. Um, White Sox were clear division favorites and fell to below 500. Royals and Tigers had looked to to take some steps forward out of their rebuilds, and they neither of them accomplished that. And the Twins also looked to reload and take aim at the division and fell short on that front as well. So, uh, yeah, without further ado, let's break it all down. Alrighty then, so let's get kicked off with those division-winning Cleveland Guardians. Definitely had an overperforming season. I think that was reflected in Terry Francona winning Manager of the Year this year. Didn't do much at the trade deadline, so I don't think a lot of folks expected them to get super hot, but they just gelled as a team. And like I said, a lot of that goes to Francona, but they put together a roster that had an identity and really performed well. So. Given that, it feels like they have a lot of opportunity to improve, but the question becomes, will they spend that money? Well, it looks like they're going to try because we know that they already offered a three-year contract to Jose Abreu this offseason, and Abreu, of course, signed with the Astros, but that's a good sign because this front office has not really shown great willingness to spend in the past. Uh, They did lock up their their homegrown star Jose Ramirez, 119 more million left on that through 2028. They also have their outfielder Miles Straw locked up through 2028 as well, and their closer Manuel Classe through 2028 as well, with a couple of team options on both of those Straw and Classe contracts. So that's a good sign for them. Those are nice pieces. And a lot of the other guys on the team are young, are eligible guys. Seems like they haven't signed a free agent in forever. But they've got the good core, the good pieces. Lots of pieces from the Clevenger trade, Cal Quantrill, mainstay in the rotation, Josh Naylor, first baseman. Uh, obviously, they still got Bieber. He was a homegrown guy. Plesak, Seval, James Karinczak in the bullpen. All really, really solid players. If you're looking at holes on this roster, the big one right now is catcher because, well, I'll let you explain that. What what are they thinking at catcher? Yeah, so like you said, right now they're looking at Bo Naylor to be their starting catcher opening day. And that isn't a terrible thing, especially if you were to ask some people down three, four years ago, you know, oh, is Bo Naylor going to be a projected everyday starting catcher in the big leagues? Yeah, I think there's some people that would argue that. But right now, that's not who you want to roll out there, especially if you feel like you have a chance at that division, which the Guardians definitely should feel that way. That's why we have seen the rumors tying them to Sean Murphy down in Oakland. We know that a lot of teams are very intrigued at his services, and the Guardians are no different. It feels like a very natural fit here, 
and we'll see if they're able to pull through. A lot of teams would love Sean Murphy, probably a top five catcher in baseball, undisputedly. So can the Guardians pull this off? They definitely have the prospect capital. And I think if they miss out on Murphy, they have to look somewhere else because I just don't think they have the the catchers right now to take them too deep and to manage a staff of this level. No, absolutely not. They lost Austin Hedges, another acquisition in the Clevenger trade. They lost him to free agency. Did they lose Luke Maley? Did they non-tender him? Yeah, Luke Maley just signed a contract. I forget with who, but yesterday. Yeah, so they must have non-tendered Maley as well. So the uh, the depth chart is very thin there. Bo Naylor uh, has been a top prospect. The brother of, of their first baseman, Josh Naylor, he's been a top prospect for a while. I don't know, seems to have kind of hit a wall in the upper minors. Doesn't really have much to prove in the minors, but hasn't really broken through in the major leagues yet. So, yeah, a bit of a tough position there for the guards. But, I mean, based on how they handled things last year, I wouldn't be completely shocked if they just let him run with it because they certainly have a lot of faith in their player development system. Running guys out there with little to no major league experience, they had an insanely good rookie class. Last year, obviously, third place rookie of the year finisher, Stephen Kwan, but also postseason hero, Oscar Gonzalez. A few other top 100 prospects, Nolan Jones, who they've since traded to the Rockies, Tyler Freeman. 17 Guardians players made their major league debuts last year, and they won the division. That's not really something you hear about a lot, but that just shows how good their player development is. No, it really, really is good. The only concern I have is, and I totally buy into their player development system, they clearly do something right down there. Do they trust it at catcher? And it's not so much the ability behind the plate for Bo Naylor, more so of handling a staff. And when you have guys like Shane Bieber, Cal Quantrill, Tristan McKenzie, Aaron Savali, and Zach Plezak, while none of these guys besides Bieber have been dominating the league for the last five years, They've all had success, and some of it more recent than others, McKenzie and Quantrill specifically. But these guys are going to need a catcher who can manage them, you know, 100, 120 starts a season, or games a season, I should say. I personally don't see that being Bo Naylor. I don't know. Do you feel like they have to get a main guy like Murphy? Or if they, you know, run Naylor out there with uh, maybe not exactly Austin Hedges, but someone of his you know, mantra. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think that they could stomach that? Absolutely. Yeah. I think it's probably more likely, especially if they don't trade for Murphy, that they'll sign a backup catcher. Um, And I wouldn't be surprised if they reassigned Hedges in a, in a somewhat backup role or a split role with Naylor because yeah, I mean, his offensive faults aside and they are, they are big, but offensive faults aside, Hedges is a great game caller, a great blocker, great defender in all facets really behind the plate so I know pitchers love throwing to him hopefully he had time to pass a little wisdom on to Naylor but there's really no substitute for experience in terms of catching a big league staff exactly that's very true and I guess the last thing offensively we should touch on and you mentioned it a little bit at the beginning was their pursuit of Jose Abreu and what that tells me is that they don't want Josh Naylor to be the everyday first baseman that they view him more as their DH which I think makes sense because right now, if if Naylor uh, starts at first base and Oscar Gonzalez starts in right field on opening day, you know, is 
Will Brennan going to be your opening day DH? Now, sure, he fits the Guardians mold of a guy that no one's ever heard of that could have a really good season. But <laughs> I don't think they're confident in that. So to me, it makes a lot of sense for them to go after a first baseman, especially with the DH class this year not being much of anything. I wonder who else they could target, though. You know, you look at Josh Bell still being available. Obviously, Brandon Belt has had success in the past. But after that, there's a huge drop-off. No, absolutely. And it's just going to be another test of their farm system um, because they might make a swing at a free agent like they made for Abreu, but I don't think they're going to make multiple big swings. It's just not how they roll. No, that's very, very true. And, you know, payroll-wise, they're going to be up a little bit from last year, but it's essentially the same. They're sitting at about $70 million. Obviously, luxury tax won't ever come into play with this team. They probably can go more, like you say. If they're willing to offer Brayu, let's assume at least more than fifteen million, they're probably willing to go close to a hundred million this year, which is this is good. At least they're trying a little bit here. But like you say, they're not gonna push past their comfort level. And I don't see them necessarily doing anything too drastic at this point. That's why they're probably gonna use that farm system to do more trade type scenarios and, and get a Sean Murphy type of guy. Now, do you feel confident in what they're going to put out there arms-wise? Yeah, I mean, we've said this about the Guardians for, seems like, forever. Their their rotation development, their rotation is, will always be good because their their pitching development system is just elite. If you're looking at, we talked about how, uh, we talked about how the Astros rotation was all homegrown, well, the Guardians got four out of five. Bieber, McKenzie, Seaball, and Plesak were all taken in the draft by Cleveland. The only guy uh, imported, as I mentioned, was Cal Quantrill in that Clevenger trade. And, of course, Clevenger himself was a homegrown Cleveland Guardian. So, yeah, their pitching pipeline is is pretty much unmatched. It's been like this for the past several seasons. So I'm not worried about their arms in the starting role and to be honest, I'm not worried about their bullpen either. Classe, Karinchak, and Trevor Steffen is a deadly back three there. Not going to get much better than that. The other guys in the middle, Sam Hentges, Nick Sandlin, and Elta Los Santos, they're serviceable, fine. I think their bullpen's going to be fine. Yeah, and like you say, you always trust the Guardians to figure it out on the mound, so don't expect any big things to happen there. Now let's kind of bounce to the projected best team in this division as of last year, the Chicago White Sox. Probably the most or maybe one of the most disappointing teams that we've seen in the last couple years went from a lot of people thinking they had a chance to win the American League title to barely squeaking by at 500 last year. I don't know what they can really do. They, it feels like they have a team that should be good, but it's just not. I don't know, man. Yeah, you're right. This is a team that on paper looks solid, like a contender. Their massive issue last year was injuries, and I will grant them that that was pretty brutal. I mean, you just look at down their starting lineup. A lot of their lineup mainstays missed significant time this year, and their rotation was no better. Lance Lynn missed time. They had to go out and sign Johnny Cueto to fill out the back of their bullpen or back of their rotation. And that actually worked out to perfection. Cueto had a remarkably good under the radar season last year, but still, it's not really something you want to have to do if you're a team in the White Sox 
position projected to win your division. As for upcoming this year, how do they how do they retool and refocus and and try to get over that hump? They've already taken one step in that direction. They have signed Mike Clevenger, formerly of the Padres we were just talking about, to a one-year $12 million deal to slot in at the back of their rotation. And then if you look at the rotation, it looks good. It's Dylan Cease, it's Lance Lynn, it's Lucas Giolito, Clevenger, and Kopech. And you, you look at all those names and you say, oh, I like those names. Cease obviously coming off a third or second place Cy Young finish. Um, either way, a stellar season. But Lance Lynn had an ERA around four last year. Also was hurt for a while. Giolito completely just lost it. ERA was almost five last year in 160 innings. Clevenger is not the Clevenger we know and remember from his Cleveland days. 4-3-3 ERA in 114 innings. And then Kopech, who always has had electric stuff, he had a three and a half ERA, which is obviously respectable, but in 120 innings, you kind of expected a little more out of him as well, former first rounder. It's a rotation that has potential, but it's also got a lot of question marks. Is Lynn and are Lynn and Giolito gonna refine their form? Is Clevenger gonna be healthy and and kind of return to his form now that he's another year? removed from his Tommy John surgery and the knee injuries he had last year? And can Kopech give you enough innings, enough effective innings to really, you know, be a member of the starting rotation? And then, of course, can Cease duplicate his breakout campaign? So, I don't know. It's it's not really given me too much solid confidence. No, it's really not. And then you look at that bullpen. While they do have a lot of big names, and they've signed a lot of guys over the last couple of years, it just seems super weird to me that they continue to give pretty sizable contracts to the bullpen because we mm-hmm. know that that just doesn't work, and they continue to do it. So listen, that, listen to this real quick. Liam Hendricks right now is making $18 million AAV. I'm just going to go by AAV. He's making a little less than that this year, but he's at 18 AAV. Okay, for him, probably can stomach that. Add on Joe Kelly, who's making eight and a half million, Kendall Graven, who's making eight, and Jake Diekman, who's making four, and Aaron Bummer, who's making three. Those are guaranteed salaries. I'm not even talking about any of the guys who might consider our guys, but I don't think they have any in the pen right now, besides Ronaldo Lopez. So point is this they're spending a significant amount of that payroll of the 180 million that they are spending on the bullpen. We know that is not a recipe for success, yet they've done it and we've seen it kind of bite them in the butt. Because like you said, the rotation, you can look at it and say, "Oh yeah, a lot of these guys have had elite years and could have another elite year for sure. All have probably been in the top 5 Cy Young voting at one point or, or not besides Kopech, but do you have faith in all of them to click at once? Probably not. And the other issue comes with their lineup. It just, like you said, they were hurt, but they just didn't perform. Yeah, no, not at all. And just going back to the bullpen for a minute, I don't have the numbers on it, but I've got to think that most teams do not tie up a quarter of their payroll in the bullpen. It just does not seem like a recipe for success. And as you mentioned, the, yeah, the free agent targets, three of their top four relievers they signed in free agency those being Joe Kelly, Graveman, and Hendricks. We've seen it with the Rockies. We've seen it with 
plenty of teams that go this route and try to sign relievers on the free agent market. And it just doesn't work. You can look at the, the Cleveland bullpen that we just saw a minute ago. None of those guys were signed as free agents, and they're all the, the, the Cleveland Cleveland team looks to have a better bullpen than this Chicago team for 20 million, 30 million less. Yeah, that's unfortunate. And then, yeah, back to the lineup. Just underperformance. Anderson played at his usual level, hit 300, but uh, only had 350 plate appearances, missed half the year. Moncada, man, I don't know where he fell off, but only hit 212. OBP well under 300, also missed significant time. Luis Robert was decent, but also missed time. I mean, you just look down the list. Tim Anderson only had 351 plate appearances. Moncada, 430. Robert, 401. Eloy Jimenez, 327. Vaughn had 555. That's close to a full season. Gavin Sheets, 410. Yasmani Grandal, he was supposed to be a big part of that team, only 376. They just, none of them were healthy, and it seemed like only a very few of them performed up to their expectations. No, you're totally right. And I think a big thing for them next year is they have to rely on these guys figuring it out. They're not a team that can make a ton of additions that is going to make them significantly better. They just need guys to play better and be healthy. Now, the one knock you could definitely give them on the health side of things is the depth is just really, really lacking. Because even when guys went down, you know, a lot of teams are able to figure it out or at least have someone step up. But with the amount of injuries they had, they had nobody step up. And that just is a testament to the lack of depth that they did accumulate. So I think that's kind of a big thing for them. And offensively, I mean, they have to figure out that second base hole because right now you're going to run out Romy Gonzalez and Leña Sosa, like splitting those two guys out there. Neither of those guys are good enough second basemen to... No, they've got, what, like 100 major league plate appearances combined between them probably. Right, and there's a lot of guys out there at the second base world trade-wise as well. We know Colton Wong's name's been thrown around, though I don't see them outbidding any of the top dogs because it seems like a lot of Dodgers and so forth want him as well. Depends on how much money they want to spend. Could they go after Gene Segura, Adam Frazier, Josh Harrison type? Sure, I could see it. Does it strike fear into the opponent? No, but at least that's something. You need someone who's going to be there consistently and healthy. So if they can maintain health, I like them a little bit more, but you just don't get this good gut feeling that health is going to flip the switch here. Yeah, I just don't really see the upside anymore. And kind of to add insult to injury, three of their best players last year have hit free agency. Obviously, we already know they're not bringing back Jose Abreu. That's a huge hit. He's been a lineup mainstay for since his Major League debut, like seven or eight years ago. And they also lost Elvis Andrews, who had become their starting shortstop in the wake of Tim Anderson's injury. Could have played him at second base. He really had a solid year for the White Sox. And then I already mentioned Cueto in the back of the rotation had a very good year in the ERA in the mid threes. And I don't know. I mean, if you're telling me that Clevenger is replacing Cueto in the rotation, I'm not really seeing that Clevenger is going to have a better year this year than Cueto did last year. 
which means your rotation's not going to be as good as it stands. And the lineup missing Abreu and Andrews is certainly not as good as it was last year. So I really don't see too much improvement right now. They they need to be aggressive if they're going to go for this division again. In my opinion, they're at the point where they need to start doing some addition by subtraction moves. And what I mean by that is more retooling. These contracts that they have guaranteed on the books, is it tough to say, hey, let's go trade Yohan Moncada or Tim Anderson? Or They definitely shouldn't trade Robert, but they're going to have to trade some of these hefty contracts on the books to try and free up some value because they don't have prospects to replenish their their major league team with, both through trade and through call-ups. So they're going to have to figure something out. And at this point, like you say, I agree with you. I don't see much upside in them getting significantly better. They might have to consider doing that sort of thing. Yeah, and that was unthinkable at the beginning of last season. If we were doing this show last offseason, we would have said, oh, yeah, the White Sox are going to cruise to this division championship. And uh, that's what the sports books had. They had a 10-plus win cushion in the division going into the year. But it's baseball, man. Stuff definitely does happen, and that's why we love it. Let's bounce on over to the Twin Cities here in Minnesota. Kind of a disappointing season, and none of the traditional sense in my eyes. I didn't necessarily predict them to be anywhere but third place going into the season. Maybe could have seen a second-place push. But at the trade deadline, being in first place and being the only team to make improvements, and they were improvements that I liked, they kind of tanked that second half. Oh, yeah. I don't know. They just never really found their groove the whole season. Buxton missed time. Correa missed time. Their starting rotation was in flux the whole year. They went for it at the deadline and really just couldn't get any momentum going after that. It's a disappointing season, but at the, at the same time, it's like the fourth most disappointing season in their own division. Right. <laughs> so how bad could it be? But no, it was it was certainly disappointing looking for a little bit better out of this core. And also huge props to the front office for going for it, because a lot of people thought they would throw in the towel after 2021 disappointment. But no, they didn't. They didn't throw in the towel after 2021. They went for it. They retooled, completely overhauled the rotation, got Sonny Gray in there, called up Joe Ryan, who had a good year as a prospect, got Tyler Molly at the deadline, Bailey Ober, another minor leaguer they called up, uh, had a very solid year, very, very solid year. And then they'll also have Kenta Maeda back from Tommy John surgery next year. And that's a, that's a pretty solid rotation. A lot to like about the rotation. As for the lineup, obviously at the top, very solid with a rise batting champion Buxton when he's on the field he's unstoppable but of course he's he just can't stay on the field only 382 plate appearances last year and it seemed like he was healthy the whole time but still barely a half season worth there Jorge Polanco had a good year Kepler somehow continues to really underperform his expected stats he could be a big beneficiary of the anti-shift rule. Uh, lots of line drives into the shift for him. And then once you get out of that kind of top four, the loss of Correa really shortens up this lineup. You got Jose Miranda, Nick Gordon, Trevor Larnick, Alex Kirloff, Ryan Jeffers, that sort of group filling into the back of the lineup. 
And, you know, those guys aren't terrible, but they all have, you know, between one and two years of major league service and really not established guys that you want on your team if you're if you're going to have confidence in contending. No, not at all. And you mentioned the retooling of the pitching or the, the rotation a couple of years ago, or maybe that was last offseason, but they did the same thing in the infield already this offseason. They started by trading away Gio Urshela, which kind of seemed out of nowhere, cleared up $9 million, and then they went and got Kyle Farmer. Now, obviously, a downgrade there, but the way they viewed that was a little more positional flexibility with, with Kyle Farmer, and it allows them to save four-ish million, I think is what it's about projected for both their ARB disputes. So let's see how they reuse that money. And we know that their their payroll last year was 142. They almost got to the 150 mark. So that's pretty significant. And mm-hmm. right now they're sitting at 98. So you want to give them 50 yeah. million to spend? Why not go back and get Correa? Because we know they've offered him contracts. That's been made publicly known. And they clearly like him. Who wouldn't? So maybe they're really serious about getting Correa. And if they do get him, like you said, that lineup becomes a lot scarier again. Oh, absolutely. It's a it's a huge help to that lineup. It pushes Polanco back to his more natural position of second base. Probably bumps Nick Gordon out of the starting lineup. Totally, as you said, lengthens the lineup. So, yeah, I mean, that's in the realm of possibility. Absolutely. Another thing to notice, I'm looking here, another team, all nine of their projected starters are homegrown. They got Buxton, Miranda, Gordon, Larnick, Karloff, and Jeffers in the draft, and they signed Kepler, Polanco, and Arise internationally. So it's pretty awesome for them. Uh, Kepler is German, if I recall correctly. Was a, yes. It was interesting international signing, but props to their international scouting department there. But yeah, so the lineup is certainly a weakness right now. If they get Correa, that would help a lot. They would probably still need to get another complimentary piece in the outfield or at DH to really make that a plus. You know, Correa would would take them back to probably even an average lineup. But if they get another piece in the outfield or at DH, I think that would or at catcher, that would be very solid lineup. As for, we already talked about the rotation, as for the bullpen, they've got two studs at the back end in Jorge Lopez, who they traded for from Baltimore and Yohan Duran. Absolute flamethrowers. Both of those guys can touch triple digits. Duran can get to 103, 104 we saw last year. Beyond those two, it's not as rosy. Griffin Jacks and Caleb Thielbar are both very young, had good seasons last year. Emilio Pagan, this is an interesting one, acquired him from the Padres in the Chris Paddock deal. He did not have a good season, ERA in the mid-fours. He was definitely a non-tender candidate going into the year because his arbitration salary is all the way up to $3.7 million, which is fairly significant for a reliever. But they did tender him a contract, so they clearly have faith that he is going to rebound uh, heading into his age 32 season. Hopefully, you know, he's shown potential in the past that he can be that late-inning setup guy or even a closer, but has not found that form in recent years. And then you got Jorge Alcala, promising young guy, Giovanni Moran, Trevor McGill, 
I think that's a pretty solid bullpen. Yeah, I don't see too many issues with any of their arms on the mound this year. Maybe some depth pieces, but overall they're running out a pretty solid crew that won't won't push them deep into the playoffs, but I think could could lead them to the playoffs for sure. Yeah, it's not it's not uh, an overpowering group by any means. I mean, none of those rotation guys are huge strikeout machines. Uh, lots of contact pitchers, which is another reason that you want to go get Correa because that totally strengthens your infield defense for sure. You know, you got to rise at first, who's a solid defender. I'm not sure how good Jose Miranda is at third, but putting Polanco back to second and having Correa slot in at short, that really improves your, your up-the-middle defense, which is important with a staff of contact pitchers and ground ball pitchers. Yep, could not agree more with you there on that. So, let's switch to the fourth place team last year in a division, the Detroit Tigers. Like you alluded to earlier, massive disappointment again after a fairly sizable offseason in which they signed Javier Baez, Javier Baez and Eduardo Rodriguez to those big deals. And neither of them performed to expectation, though somewhat seemed predictable. However, the team's success was not. They were terrible. They have a lot to do, but a big part of it is also letting these young guys like the Spencer Torkelsons and the Riley Greens develop and hopefully prove a little bit more this upcoming year. A bigger aspect of that even comes in the rotation. They need a lot of their guys, young guys, the Matt Mannings of the world, to develop. And if that can happen, I like their odds to improve pretty significantly going into 2023. Well, there's really nowhere to go but up, so they do have that going for them. 66 and 96 last year. If I'm the uh, Tigers owner, I'm not really feeling too generous right now because I just signed off on about $200 million worth of expenditure last offseason, and it didn't really get me anywhere. The lineup doesn't look completely terrible. You know, there's some names. There's Austin Meadows uh, in right, Javi Baez, obviously it's short. Riley Green made his debut last year, top three prospect in all of baseball. Center fielder, he looks to be really promising. Had a solid start to his career. Jonathan Scope really cratered last year, but had a good year in 2021. Beyond that, there's not too many names. Eric Haas is a decent catcher. Akil Badu was great in his rookie year. Kind of fell off last year as well. Not a high OBP guy. Doesn't really take his walks, kind of strikes out a little too much. Spencer Torkelson, they really need more out of him. They were expecting a big debut season out of him. He only hit 283 with an OBP under 300. So they're definitely going to need more out of their first overall pick. There's at least some potential for a decent lineup. Nothing crazy, nothing above average, but they have potential to be not the worst lineup. And probably not in the bottom five. The rotation, though, not looking too hot. You got Eduardo Rodriguez. He had an ERA over four last year, only managed to start 17 games because he was hurt. Matthew Boyd, who they just signed to a $10 million contract. He only pitched 13 innings last year because he was hurt basically the whole year. It was a great 13 innings. It was a 1.35 ERA, but 13 innings is still only 13 innings. I don't know how you can count on him for more than 120 or so this coming year. Uh, and then you mentioned Matt Manning. He had a solid year, 3-4-3 ERA, but still, only 12 games started. 
Joey Wentz, currently pitching in the Arizona Fall League or just pitched in the Arizona Fall League, uh, who they acquired from Atlanta uh, back in 2019. He was a former first rounder, had a 3.03 ERA, but again, seven games started. And Spencer Turnbull, who they're expecting back from surgery, did not pitch at all last year. So their projected starting five has a combined, let's see here, 36 starts last year. <laughs> That's not good because you're going to need 162 of them. So they're going to need some serious depth in uh, behind that group of five. Totally. And the contract handed out to Matthew Boyd made no sense. $10 million a year for a guy who only gave 13 innings last year. And it's not like a situation where he's been dominant his whole career and you're signing him off an injury year. That was seemed like an overpay for sure, but maybe that's just the market for starting pitching. They need to do another contract similar to that, like you said, to get those innings. Yeah, it, not only does it not make sense just on its face because the dude hasn't pitched in a while, but that seems like a contract that a team with a solid starting rotation who's looking for some kind of hidden upside might make that gamble for Boyd. But the Tigers should not care about his 1.35 year. Right? They just need innings at this point. They just need to kind of protect their younger arms and get through the season healthy and a solid league average ERA would be so much more valuable to them. You know, 180 innings of a four ERA would be so valuable to the Tigers and 100 innings of a three ERA is not even close to as valuable for them. No, it definitely seemed like they were shooting for the wrong target there. And I think a positive though for the Tigers is their outlook beyond this year, especially payroll-wise. So they're sitting at 118 right now. Last year, they were at 135. So in theory, they could definitely spend, and they definitely still need to. But they're going to have a lot of money coming off the books next year, and mainly that's because of Miguel Cabrera. You throw on Matthew Boyd and Jonathan Scope, that's going to add a total of almost $50 million coming off the books next year. So they should have some money to spend. They'll only be guaranteeing contracts to Javi Baez, Eduardo Rodriguez, and the rest of the guys are still ARP guys and whatnot. So if they spend big this offseason on a big player, which doesn't seem like the smart move, but they technically could, they have a lot coming off the books. Though, like you said, they need to get some, some stopgap guys for sure, let some of their guys develop, get Casey Mize healthy and on the mound again in two years, and then go from there. But as of right now, they're kind of at a weird spot where they tried to make a push to be better, and both their contracts they handed out were duds, and they still have to pay those guys a significant amount of money through 2026 and 2027 for Javier Baez. So we'll see if they're able to turn turn it around a little bit next year, but if not, 2024 might be another offseason where we see a lot of money spent by the Detroit Tigers. Yeah, you hope so, but yeah, as you said, it's it's a tough situation, partly because of those contracts and partly because you know, prospects such as it is kind of has already come up. They've got Green and Torkelson. Those were top five overall prospects in baseball. They both already came up and, you know, they've still got more in the tank for sure, especially in terms of Torkelson, but they certainly did not help your team compete last year. And then on the pitching side, just really hitting a, a tough patch of luck here with, you know, Manning was decent, but hurt. And Mize and Scooball are both out. Tommy John for, for Mize and Flexor tendon surgery for Scooball, which is a honestly, at this point, maybe a worse surgery to have than Tommy John because the success rate 
uh, is just not as good. The recovery time is lower, but guys just don't really bounce back from that as well. We've seen Padres reliever Drew Pomerantz had that surgery in August of 2021, did not pitch at all this year in 2022. So he basically had a Tommy John surgery in terms of, of time missed. So those are two big blows for Detroit. They've got to get just some depth. They've got to have prospects that are not in their top 10 really show up and prize some people and their player development really has to come through if they want to compete in the next few years. And I think another team that can say a lot of the same would be their quote-unquote division rival, Kansas City Royals. Rival in terms of finishing in last place. Right, that's kind of their their heads are button for that draft pick position. But the Royals are arguably in a worse position, in my opinion, than the Tigers. And that is because... They don't have much in prospect capital at the big league level other than Bobby Wood Jr. and MJ Melendez. But outside of that, they don't have much in terms of starting pitching at the major league level. And that kind of scares me. At least with the Tigers, I see that hope. But how do you feel about this Royals team? Do you kind of see the same way I do where besides Brady Singer, there's just not a lot of hope there? Honestly, as I'm looking at this roster, it reminds me a lot of the Tigers, you know, You've got that bad contract aging veteran for Sal Perez, kind of analogous to the Baez contract that the Tigers gave out last offseason. You've got the prospects that came up and did okay, but didn't really help. I mean, Witt did did very well. Uh, Melendez didn't do as well, but still showed some promise. And then you've got guys that you think would have turned the corner by now, but just never really have. Alberto Mondesi has shown some promise for a long time. Can't stay on the field at all. Michael A. Taylor is a gold glover in the outfield, and he actually had a very solid year last year. But, you know, it's just, he's a complimentary piece. He's not supposed to be the best player on your team. Nicky Lopez came off a great season last year, did not put up the same numbers this year. It's just unfortunate how you kind of saw their plan a couple years ago and it really unraveled with some of the prospects not panning out contract decisions not being great and as you said there's just lack of depth in that starting rotation and this is kind of a lesson learned for some teams you know you look at the of course the Astros blueprint and the Cubs blueprint even the Padres to some extent and the Blue Jays that kind of tear it all down and build it back up mentality. And it doesn't always work. There's there's always the Royals and the Tigers. Plenty of other examples, too, where they get aggressive, they tear it down, they get to the bare bones, they try to restock their farm, and they're just kind of stuck there for a while. Um, so it won't be forever. Obviously, the, the Royals will rebound at some point. But there's really just not too much hope in the next few years. You're looking at a rotation of Brady Singer, very good year last year. 3-2-3 ERA, 150 innings. And behind that, you've got four guys who had ERAs over five last year. Bubik, Keller were supposed to be good. Daniel Lynch also had high hopes for him. He was a first rounder. Uh, and then Jonathan Heasley, who they took in the 13th round, actually. All those guys really underperformed. All started over 20 games, but all had ERAs over five. 
Yeah, and that's why it seems pretty likely that Zach Grinke comes back. We already know he wants to come back. It just seems like too natural of a fit there. And maybe even another guy that they can hope to flip at the deadline. I don't think Grinke is the most flippable piece anymore. But if they can take a chance on a guy who could be flippable and give you some innings at the worst, they need to definitely look at that. And they could... I would say Johnny Cueto is probably a good fit. Yeah, no, that seems like a good fit for sure. And then you look at the rest of the lineup, like you were talking about earlier, there isn't much to love. If they're going to make an addition, which it doesn't seem like they're going to make enough additions to really make an impact, they got to do something about the outfield situation. Michael A. Taylor, while he's great, seems like a high probability that he gets traded either this offseason yep. or at the deadline. So they need to figure out something there. We know MJ Melendez will probably get some work in the corners uh, with Sal Perez behind the plate and Melendez probably starting the other days. But other than that, Drew Waters, Kyle Isbell, Edward Olivares, you know, a little bit of Hunter Dozier action out there. None of that's good enough to even be on a bad major league team. So they need to make some sort of addition out there. And again, someone that you can probably flip at the deadline and let all the guys I just listed finish out that second half when you're 30 games out of first. Do you think they should pull the plug kind of again and trade away their their tradable assets, the the Michael A. Taylors, the Brady Singers, the Scott Barlows in the bullpen? Yes, because like you said, the rebuild is not working as it intended right now. It's definitely years behind its path. And then you kind of get stuck in that mode of, well, what do we do now? A big part of that also has to do with spending habits. You got to spend a little bit more in order to supplement a little bit. But at the same time, yeah, they're going to have to do something to retool the farm probably for the next two or three years again. And while that may suck, that's the position they put themselves in by tearing down completely and then refusing to spend any sort of significant money other than on dumb contracts to Sal Perez. So that's probably their play, and we'll see if they go ahead and do that. But I think that's their best move. And, I mean, at least you know on the bright side, they do have tradable guys. Michael A. Taylor would fetch a nice return. Singer, obviously, would be a huge get for any contending team um i i highly doubt they trade him actually because he's only at two years of service time won't be a free agent for another three or four years so i think they'll probably keep him around and hope he's still in the rotation for the next good royals team but in the bullpen i think is where they should get aggressive they've got scott barlow their closer had a 2.18 era last year and 74 innings uh, which is a lot for a reliever and also josh stamont did not have a good year last year he was hurt but both those guys would fetch very solid returns in a trade. So if I was the Royals, that's probably what I would do, but I am not. So we will see what else they go after this offseason. Yeah, so we'll see what ends up happening, like you say. Well, with that, I think we're going to wrap this episode up here in an interesting division that has a lot of somewhat complacent teams. It'll be exciting to see maybe five years down the road how this outlook changes hopefully some more money is spent and some wiser decisions are to be made thank you guys so much for listening and we got one more of these episodes to go al east coming at you in the next couple of days so stay on the lookout for that and if you missed our previous episodes breaking down the other four divisions so far go ahead and check those out we'd greatly appreciate it see ya